our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your host, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Hi, Simran. Hey, Sonia. This week, we are talking about the worst money advice that we have ever been told because do you know what? We speak a lot about like good advice. We speak about the things that have helped us. We speak about all the beautiful pieces of like golden nuggets, as I always like to say, that have like changed our financial futures and there's always things to learn, but not enough focus is given on the things that have just been told to us that have left our mouths hanging. The dumb advice that has been thrown out because God, there is some dumb advice out there. There is some advice where no, it's not illegal to say, and you can't technically like complain to the financial regulators, but it should be like dumb police like regulators for just things that are like so left field that you're like, no one should be taking this and I should be allowed to leave a comment or a review or like a trust pilot one star rating on what you've just said. And so I want to honor that experience by talking about some of the dumbest advice that we have been told when it comes to money over the course of our lifetime. I think this is going to be a fab episode to listen to because I think the issue that people have is they will give people blanket advice and not taking like their personal situation into account. And some people, they just take the advice without like thinking to personalize it for them. So I think a lot of the dumb advice comes from people making generalizations. And that is the exact opposite of minding your own business. I'll be honest, I feel quite dumb right now because I have no idea what you just meant. What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, I think a lot of people, like my two, are generalizations and financial advice that people give, but they don't really help me. And they didn't help me back then, which I will get into. And I think when financial creators or like just experts in the field, even when you like turn on the news, they put out these really dramatic general statements on what you should be doing. And like, if you're not doing it, they make you feel dumb. But I'm like, what if it just doesn't work for me or my situation that I'm in in life? 
Now, before we begin, we want to take a moment to thank our season sponsor for powering this week's episode. Are you ready to take control of your financial future and you don't know where to begin? Meet Perla, the Aussie investing platform that makes it easy for anyone to invest in the stock market and build a sensible, diversified portfolio. With Perla, you can start investing with as little as $5. Perla's unique community-driven experience guides you through the process of selecting your investment goals, creating a portfolio tailored to your needs and tracking your progress over time. One of the things that we love most about Perla is their commitment to financial education. Perla commits to empowering investors through tools like template portfolios with access to easier investing and supportive community connections. Perla also offers great insight and data that help pave the way for equitable investing. Their research finds women are investing more of their income than men and more women invest on their platform than men. Perla also walks the walk with open pay transparency to help facilitate open conversations about wage, roles and opportunities within the financial industry. If you're feeling overwhelmed by all the options, Perla's platform is intuitive and easy to use with powerful tools that give you control over your investments. You can track your portfolio's performance, set up automatic investments and even invite friends and family to invest alongside you. Don't wait to start building your financial future. Check out Perla.com today and start investing in your goals. It is the audacity that some people have on the advice that they've given, but I'm really excited to talk about this because some of this advice is like advice that we have seen that have not been directed at us, but directed at the general public. And we've been like, this is actually bad advice. Some of this advice has been advice given to us directly, like one-on-one. And I've been like, this is bad advice. And I want to start off with the worst one that I've ever been told. And this was given to me by someone close to me, someone that I respect and trust. And their advice was, Simran, you should wait until you get married to buy a house. And I was like, why would I do that? Like if I think about that experience, that came from a very like traditional point of view or it came from the mindset of, well, you know, it's the right path. You like get married first and then you buy a house with a person and that's your person and you spend your life together. Why would you buy a house early? I understand where they're coming from if they meant it in a way of like, you can't afford a house right now, like wait until you are with someone or get a friend or or with your sibling, like buy a home that you can afford. But I was in a position where I had told them that I could afford buying a home by myself and I'd rather get started. The beauty of investing early is you have this thing called compound and compound interest compounds over time. And to be able to buy a home in my 20s, And be able to do it and let that home grow in value, be able to, you know, pay off the mortgage and chip away at that and like renovate it. That is a much better financial decision than the emotional decision of, oh, but how would it look if you got married and you already had a house before your husband or your partner? Mm. It is a traditional way of thinking. But what is insane to me is a lot of people still think that especially in the South Asian community. It was literally the advice I was given like when I bought my home. So what was that, 2021, like two years ago? It's not like when I was 12 and it was like back in the day. It's like an actual thought process that people have like, oh, I should wait it out. And it did make me consider it. I was like, should I? And I was like, no, that's dumb. Like, why do women have to wait for men to appear in their lives before we start like taking strides? 
in our professional or personal lives, I've been told things like you should like start traveling when you have a husband or like, you know, if you want to do a big overseas trip, like wait for your partner. And it's like, no, spend the money you want now, invest the money you want now. Who's to say I even find someone? And do I wait till I'm like 35 and then buy my first house because I need to do it with a man? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, it was the same advice that I was given. It was like unsolicited advice or the unsolicited opinion I got when I told like another family member that I was moving to Canada. They were like, you should get married first and then move. I'm like, what? No. I got told that too. <laughs> you got told that too? Well, I was like, I'm thinking of maybe like moving overseas or like maybe I might like go to XYZ place for a bit. And someone was like, you should get married. And I was like, why would I get married? To then go to live in a country for two years and then come back. Like from a logistical point of view, that's annoying for my husband. Like, why would I pick a guy up and then be like, all right, let's go. No, let's come back. Let's go left. Let's go right. Like I can just do it on my own. Yeah. And I also feel like I'd be super annoyed if I did that. <laughs> yeah. Like I'd just be annoyed. I'm like, I kind of want to experience this, but he's here. Like, <laughs> I kind of want to decorate my house in pink, but he's here. He's here. I think my first point that I want to make is actually, I don't know how it's going to make people feel. And I feel like, I'm just going to be honest, I am sensitive to this topic because sometimes comments still really get to me. Like I've had a fair few people that tell me just buy a house and you'll be fine. Like as soon as you buy a house, you'll be set up for life. Like all you need to do is buy a house, like buy a house, property this, property that. And I don't know if I've told you this, but I think when you bought your house and <laughs> no, I think we had discussed it, but like when you bought your house, I had even more people, like, especially at work, they used to come up to me and be like, are you going to buy a house soon too? And I was like, why? I'm just refilling my drink bottle right now. Like, why are we talking about this? And I don't care if it sounds dramatic, but it is how I felt at the time, but I felt like I was being bullied into what? buying a home and- I have several points I want to make. Firstly, I don't know where I want to live yet. Secondly, I get that you think that rent is a waste of money and that's fair. You're entitled to your opinion, but I am thriving living in an apartment right now. Anything that needs fixing, I just message my super and he is so onto it. I don't have to maintain any land or pay someone to do that for me. I'm just existing. And I do understand that rent is extraordinary in Toronto right now and housing is such an issue. And I understand and I get the privilege in saying this, but that's not the case for me. I pay like 1,600 a month. Canadian dollars with all my expenses, rent included, because I have a roommate and we have rent control in this apartment. And yes, it's small, but it works for us and our lifestyles. And I am in love with the location. I'm stressed just even talking about this. I would be so stressed if I had a house. Yes, I could buy a house and live overseas for a while, but I'm the type of person to worry. Even if I had a property manager, I would think about that house all the time. The mortgage, the weather, the insurance, are my tenants like okay because I would care? So layoff. I think it also doesn't help that your best friend's house like the ceiling fell, you're like, these things happen. So many things happen. I feel like you buying a house just reinforced the idea that I should not buy a house yet. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think that's fair. That's like when people have kids 
And you're like, should I have a kid? And then you see your friend have a kid and you're like, I don't want that lifestyle right now. And thank God you did it before me because now I have something to compare it to as opposed to everyone's thoughts and opinions on when they had children or when they bought their home. I just want to be very candid with our listeners. I recently got diagnosed with PCOS and no joke, someone came to me and they said, oh, you should try to have kids now. And I'm like, first of all, I don't have endo, which is like what people say to people who have endo. Cause apparently I think it is a little bit of a myth. Just have a baby and your endo will go away, which is not always the case. It's not a myth, but it's not for everyone. But like, yeah, you don't have endo anymore. Sure. But you have a kid like, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Pick your battles. <laughs> My endo pain is fine. Honestly, I, I can live with it. Uh, what it is to be a woman. I just want to start this off by saying I apologize because I remember the amount of pressure jokingly, but now that I think about it, like if you were going through this, I can't. It wasn't a joke. It was like, you should buy a house. I think it's a good idea, but also I get that you're not going to because you are not one to commit. I just remember you being like, "Hmm, I don't know, Simran. And also like, can you drop it? And I was like, okay, I'll drop it. I didn't realize how much pressure you were getting out. I thought it was just me. I didn't realize there were so many other people in your life telling you to buy a home. And I'm glad that you did not because the regret of buying a house is not like a $10. It's like a half a million dollars. It's like $800,000. Like imagine if you had bought one knowing what you know now and knowing that like you prefer renting in this stage of your life. Like what a nightmare. I think it's because I was getting it from like extended family and then random people and then a few friends. And it's just a question that people like to ask. And I feel like it's a frequent question some people ask as well. And I'm like, I will tell you, look, you best believe that I will tell you when I am ready to buy a house, when I'm thinking about that process, when I'm interested in that process. Like I don't hesitate to talk about things that I'm excited about. And when I buy a house, it's going to be an exciting journey. I'm going to talk about it with my friends and don't worry. Like property is on the agenda, but just not now. And that's okay. I'm 26 without a house and that's fine. Do you know what I think it is from an outside perspective? I think people have looked at your situation and gone, well, you can afford a house, therefore you should have a house. And I think that's the wrong advice. Like just because you can doesn't mean you should because that's off the assumption that if you have the money to buy a home, you should automatically buy it. It's like the same assumption as if you have the money to go and have a kid because a lot of people cannot have children for financial reasons. Then they look at someone that does have the financial stability. They're like, oh, well, you should go have a kid. And it's like, well, I don't want that right now. But just because I can doesn't mean I should. Like, yes, like from xyz reason yeah i probably could do that but like why Mm. oh i'm sorry i'm sorry for all of us pressuring you it's okay i feel like sometimes it makes people laugh because i get very riled up like if you want to rile me up you bring this up and you say i kind of expected you to have a house i'm like (gasps) kind of expected you to have a house that gets me going that would get anyone going that's a weird thing to say yeah mind your own business 2023 We're grown. (laughs) The second worst piece of money advice I have ever been told is around the idea that like you should just have no debt whatsoever. Like you should pay off your student loans as quick as possible. You should pay off your house as quick as possible. I remember sort of like talking with a family member or yeah, I think it was a family member or like a relative. I guess they saw my bank accounts because my laptop was up and they were like, you have 
more money in this account than the negative money in your home loan account. Like, why would you not just pay off your home loan right now? And I was like, that's really interesting that you think that because that's actually not the best thing for me. For some people, it makes sense to pay off their mortgage as quick as possible. Like, yes, I could probably technically pay off my student loan right now or try and pay off my mortgage right now because it's not as much. I bought a very cheap house back when I did. But you shouldn't look at debt as something that you need to completely remove, especially if you have a low interest rate on it. And that was kind of how I grew up. Like if it was like, if you owe money, pay it off immediately. You should have no loans. Like you should just be at zero all the time. But the truth is debt can be good and bad. And we have like one of my favorite episodes from like 2020 when we started called Good Debt, Bad Debt. And it's around the idea that, yes, certain kinds of debt aren't good for you, but the way to make wealth a lot of times involves leverage. And it's saying, I'm going to take money from the bank to grow more money here. And eventually I'll give that money back to the bank, but there's no need for me to pay that off instantly. Like you use the bank's money to make money. You use loans to make money. You use leverage to grow that money much faster than you could just save it. And that's like one of the secrets to wealth that I don't think gets passed down through like the experiences I've had. And it's something that I really would want to pass down to my kids. Like it's okay. I know so many people that are worth like, okay, not that many. I know a lot of people that are worth like $10 million, but they have $5 million worth of debt. And that's because they're leveraging and they're using the debt in a way that's normal and constricted. But if they just save their way to wealth, like that's not going to work either. And if they paid it off all quickly, like maybe they feel better and they have a sigh of relief, but a little bit of debt is okay. And I think that was one of the worst things I could have been told because if I just pay off my loan now, that money's done. It's there. I could instead use that money to grow it elsewhere. And now I have even more money. Yes, I'll pay off that loan that I was always going to, but I've made more in the process. You hear that commentary a lot around like why are celebrities who are multimillionaires getting a mortgage? Like why can't they just pay it off? Like again, these are secrets that people don't openly talk about, but what if when they want to sell – they're like losing $20 million because they dropped $20 million like from the get-go. Do you know what I mean? These people are smart. We've got to listen to them. We've got to watch the way that they move, you know? What Jennifer Lopez does with her money, I am going to do with mine. What does Jennifer Lopez do with her money? The same thing. Yeah, she bought a home with Ben <laughs> Affleck and they just like didn't buy it in cash. Yeah, yeah. How did you feel that someone looked at your account and said that? Did you ask for this advice? No. I mean, every advice that I have been given around what to do with my money has been unsolicited. How many times have I asked someone, hey, what should I do with my bank accounts in their defense? Actually, I've even had this like on Girls That Invest on one of our stories, I think a few days ago, someone asked like, where does your net worth come from? And so I included my assets and my debt and the debt included $50,000 or I guess it's now like $48,000, the student loans. And someone, they like replied to a story going, why would you not like pay off that loan instantly? Like you clearly have $50,000 somewhere or, you know, you could pay at least a bit of it off. And my answer was, well, it's just about the idea of like good debt and bad debt. Like that loan has no interest on it. It is not in my best interest, funnily enough, to pay that off quickly. 
For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone, and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Unless I lived overseas. The amount I could have invested if I didn't make repayments on my student loan and pay that ish off. I think about that. I really do. But you were going to move overseas at some stage. Like, I think you did the right thing. Like, it took me like six years. <laughs> Sonia is the only person I know that has actually paid off their student loan already. But it's like, that was what you knew at the time. And you made the best choice. And at the end of the day, now you don't have to pay interest on a loan because you're living overseas. Like, yeah. I think you still did the right thing. <laughs> Also, not to put people's business out there, one of my friends who moved overseas, we were like just talking about interest on student loans and they were under the impression that it only started after the six month mark. <gasps> Babes, they backdate that interest. <laughs> so if you, yeah, they backdate the interest of when you go overseas. It is in your best interest <laughs> to pay it off if you're going overseas. But if that doesn't matter to you, then you move how you want to move accordingly. This isn't financial advice. <laughs> what is the fourth like worst piece of money advice you have been given in your life? Okay, listen, this might be a little bit controversial, but I'm here to rile people up since you riled me up today. <laughs> but it was the advice I was, I think people know this about me now, but when I was younger and especially when I first started working, I was such an impulse spender. Like I would just buy I was also pretty open about the fact that I was like, you know, I would always feel like crap when I transferred from my savings to my checking. And like one person said, just make a budget and you'll be sweet. Just make a budget and it will literally solve all your problems. Look, budgeting is great. It is a superb way of tracking your spending, being more conscious of your money. And I love a good budget. I know how to budget properly now and realistically now. But before I was taking care of myself and my finances, as if numbers on a piece of paper would have stopped me from buying the croissant that I wanted. As if you could stop me by saying, yeah, but you put it in an Excel sheet. As if I couldn't just transfer money. Like it is a made up <laughs> piece of paper that you are living by and it's not life or death. I also think sometimes when people follow very strict budgets, it could, not it will, but it could encourage just you being scared of money and you not being wanting to go like a cent off budget and you really need to get your nails done and 
Sonia is like budgeting is a social construct. <laughs> it is. It's made up. You are making it up. You feel really strongly about this. I've never seen you like this. I didn't even know you hated. <laughs> I do. I'm so sorry. I'm like yelling into the mic. I must pull back, but I'm not against budgets. I just want to make that super clear. I just think the advice that I was given was that budgets are going to solve my money mindset, my money behaviors, how I feel about money. That's how it was presented to me. Sonia is like, listen, a budget is not going to fix the like hole in my soul that I fill when I spend money and get a little bit of dopamine. As if I would be like thinking about my budget when I'm getting some fried chicken, you know, I'm eating great chicken. Let me be. I think it just speaks to the idea that we want quick fixes and it is sometimes like a band-aid like we're just like listen I might have a spending problem and it might be rooted in the way my parents as a child da 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 like it could be like something as deep as that but you're like you know what if I allocate only $20 a week to food when I go out and I eat out that's gonna solve it like that's what would you say to someone if they were in your position that you were in, let's say 10 years ago, instead of telling them, just make a budget, what would you say instead? I think noticing your behavior and noticing like when you feel the urge to buy and where it comes from is really helpful. Even just taking a moment to like recognize you do that, it's just becoming a little bit more self-aware. And if you do have the patience and time to actually sit down and reflect on where that could come from, I think figuring out where all of that comes from is super helpful because it will it makes the solutions a little bit easier. Like you'll know if a budget is going to work for you, like a simple budget, tracking your income, like your outgoing, it's a good idea. I think that's the part of financial literacy that I wish was taught to me in school, but it's not going to fix all your problems. Like just because you've created a budget or someone's helped you create a budget sticking to it, it's not going to help you stick to it. In fact, if you steer away from your budget, it's going to make you feel even more guilty than before. And like, I think just tackling the roots of your problems is good in general to do that first anyway. But I think what helped me is automating my like savings and automation was a godsend and also making like certain bank accounts invisible off my app, off my internet banking. Those two tips really helped me. And I was just left with the money at the end of the week or at the end of when I got paid that I could spend, you know, like I didn't see all the money that I can spend. <laughs> it takes time. It does. I feel like this is probably a good place to wrap things up when it comes to the idea of good advice that we've been given or bad advice that we've been given I'm sure we all have heard things where even if you don't have the facts and even if you can't like you don't have like the vocabulary or the words to go this isn't right for me you sometimes just have a gut feeling like waiting to buy a home with a partner or buying a home in general or avoiding debt at all costs or just even like you know, budget and this will fix all your financial problems. You kind of just know yourself and you can listen to that advice and go, I know this person means well, but that's not going to work for me. I think that's such a good skill to have to be able to like grow your financial gut feeling has helped us in not taking on bad financial advice, even when we weren't, you know, 
financial educators to the place where we are now like you still kind of get a feeling of like yeah that's just a piece of paper (laughs) that's not going to stop me from spending that money and if I could leave you with one thing it's like let's work on that gut feeling because that's going to help you through so many more financial decisions that come about and with that I will see you next week Sonia bye bye And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalised investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence.